You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. It's episode 15 of The Boost with Patty Morrow, Vice President, Behavioral Health Services at Mercy. Let's go. All right. Welcome to The Boost, conversations with people promoting mental health. And I am really just over the moon about this uh, episodes that we're launching into um, because it's with Patty Morrow. She's the vice president of behavioral health services at Mercy. Certainly, you know about Mercy. They're one of the top uh, 25 health systems in the country. Uh, their NRC scores are through the roof. And um, it's really exciting to me uh, with Patty here because she's an expert. She's been uh, with Mercy going on at least 16 years. And uh, Patty will correct any mistakes I make in a minute. Um, but I think 16 years in the behavioral health focus as a regional director and now the VP. And um, and they're bringing innovation to bear. They're bringing uh, complex care models to bear uh, to solve for access and awareness and um, and and really just providing some incredible solutions. So um, she'll speak to it best. Patty, it's great to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great, Steve. It's great to be here. And I, uh, it's an honor to really uh, be present on this podcast and share some time with you. Well, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I've been in the healthcare space, um, either on the marketing side or sometimes on the SaaS side, uh, technology solution side for a while, and uh, also the risk adjustment side and the quality care side. So um, it's it's so exciting to see this transition. It's sort of a, it's sort of a, I look for tidal waves and change in the industry and health systems are so powerfully positioned uh, sort of with a first mover advantage to have the resources and the quality care and the locations that can help us continue to bring mental health, mental illness, care, behavioral health, addiction treatment into the continuum into the in, to kind of integrate it into the the bio care that health systems have been providing uh, for so long. So there's so much to talk about with you, but I'm going to stop rambling and get into the two questions that we always start out with, which are fun. The, it's the virtual hug and the shameless plug. So um, Patty, the virtual hug we'll do first, and that is tell us, please, somebody or something you're thankful for today. You know, Steve, um, thinking about that and really knowing that that the question around gratitude, which is so important, I think, for our wellness in general is to really think about, you know, what lifts us up every day. Um, I really want to point to our mental health workforce and the, the people that have been in the front lines for not only decades um, trying to bring care to people in need, uh, but certainly uh, through COVID and kind of where we are now um, 
looking at our workforce that I, I think they have had to have an extraordinary level of resilience. Um, we, we never um, had the opportunity to do anything other than continue to serve. And we had to get super creative about how we did that. And um, our, our staff, our workforce, our clinicians, nurses, techs, physicians, um, really rallied um, around that. And I feel so incredibly blessed to have been witness to it and, and really coming alongside our caregivers. I, every day they inspire me and um, I, I hope I do some justice in my role to help kind of support and serve them, but they, they are incredible human beings who are called to this area of healthcare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. It is. It's always lovely to start with gratitude, and I'm always curious what people say. And and giving, I mean, all the kudos to uh, you know mental health caregivers. That's the caregivers is such a, such an important word. Uh, there's so much generosity and and um, service that can go into that role, depending on your engagement level with it. It's tremendous. I don't know how people do it, quite honestly. It's, it takes better souls than me to uh, do that work day in and day out. And um, you really are coming alongside people and carrying the burden you know, with them. And there's a part of that that it seems like you just take with you as a caregiver. And so that's something I'm passionate about is, is how can we care for the caregiver? You know, there's, of course burnout has been a topic of conversation because of the the heavy lift that it's been, especially in the three years of uh, COVID and coming out of COVID and also just uncovering how much demand there is for mental health care and mental health services. So that's a wonderful, I, I would be right there with you. I would jump on that bandwagon of gratitude. Um, so for the shameless plug, we encourage people to get a chance to brag about yourself in a safe, uh, fun way. So um, tell us what, what you do great as a professional. Tell us more about Mercy and, and the programs that you're excited about and proud of there. Um, it comes from you best. So uh, feel free to brag a little bit. I, you know, I, um, in thinking about that, it has just been a, a journey of, I like to think of it as a journey of reciprocity. Um, what I do best has been given to me through the clients that we serve, the lessons learned, um, seeing the humanity in people in need, and really just putting charge in the battery for me to, uh, you know, really want to drive better access. Uh, better performance, science-based, evidence-based practices. Um, but that's all been inspired by people who you see get well and, and struggle uh, through their own, um, you know, challenges. But it's, it's really been a gift to me personally and professionally to have that experience in my life. I know one day I will uh, be sitting on a rocking chair trying to remember all the people that that touched me in terms of my professional growth and development. Um, I'm a I'm a social worker at heart. So, and what really ties into um, my uh, alignment and really love of mercy is, you know, th that we are really a, a safety net organization for 
uh, people in an integrated way, the way that we deliver healthcare, but specifically in behavioral health, it is so embedded in our mission um, and the values that have really been passed on to us through the Sisters of Mercy that founded our healthcare organization. So it's um, it's been a great opportunity uh, and a gift to serve in this role because I've been given the bandwidth and room and space uh, to be able to create um, some some innovative ways that we serve, n not only uh, people that may have chronic mental illness, but, you know, all the way through that continuum of people having episodic mental health challenges and really just needing care, you know, care in the right place at the right time. We've really been given the room to create solutions um, along with other partners, obviously, but that that is really the the um, anchor point of our mission and knowing that uh, we really take all comers. Um, we are we are really our sole focus is to serve the communities where we exist. So it really aligns well with not only my my professional mindset, my personal mindset, but um, getting the chance to really create programs and uh, pilot new things that I think. Um, I haven't seen widespread necessarily uh, in the behavioral health space. I, th I think we're charting some territory and, um, you know, that's been fun. It's been a really fun experience to be able to do that. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. so the word safety net jumps out to me and widespread jumps out to me. And it reminds me of this book um, called Healing by Dr. Thomas Insull. And he talks about how at one point we sort of had this initiative for a federal safety net for some of the very complex, um, serious mental illness cases. And then we sort of fractured that down to the state level. And so it's now, I think, organizations like Mercy with this mission-minded approach uh, to integrated care and especially for people falling through the cracks. Um, and as we... my my passion is that we we sew that safety net back together nationally. So um, I have some questions following on that. But before I do, if you could just um, give us a sense of the scope of the 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 states and the regions that you all cover um, so that people know if they're not familiar with Mercy, uh, where you all are. Sure. We, uh, our, our health system footprint really exists in the Midwest, uh, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, part of Kansas. Uh, our behavioral health footprint is, is um, really heavily anchored in our St. Louis metropolitan area, but we have services throughout our, our healthcare ministry. We also have uh, mental health programs outside of that region. We have a Mercy Family Center in New Orleans uh, that really provides a lot of mental health care in that uh, community. And that really evolved out of the crisis of Katrina and um, has really grown and, and blossomed to serve that uh, community. And we have some other ministries, um, El Dorado, uh, Texas, for example. There's some uh, uh, services there that support women, domestic violence. So our, our founding order of sisters really... Um, you know, evolve this healthcare ministry, but there are other communities that we serve with different types of programs and 
um, it, it's really a great part of who, you know, our identity and who we are as an organization. That's awesome. And that's yeah. the long arm of care, Texas and St. Louis and uh, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's simply amazing. Um, and that seems like, that seems like to me a trend or a macro trend is the opportunity for a, a health system to um, uh, expand service and care as we're all trying to solve for access and helping people in need. Um, health systems are perfectly positioned. So you, to circle back, you were talking about um, some collaborations that you were doing. Uh, talk a little bit more about um, the programs that you're offering. I'm a little bit familiar with the Beacon um, program, but if you could maybe go into that or, or other programs, either from a, a service perspective or a, an innovation perspective or collaboration that uh, that you're really excited about um, that Mercy's been working on. Great, I um, Beacon. I'm excited to talk about because it is it is really a um, it's been a pilot program that has really brought a lot of innovation to our region. So we have a number of collaborating organizations that have been a part of that program. So really, what what that is is we recognized that there's a very small number of individual people that uh, have very complex needs, social determinant needs, physical health needs, mental health needs, substance use disorders, um, the whole uh, comorbidity uh, uh, elements that really keep people from getting well and, and on a path to wellness. We learned uh, through the National Center uh, of Complex Care or otherwise known as the Camden Coalition that there were uh, programs uh, uh, coming out of you know, uh, incubation across the country that were really trying to target these complex care uh, patients. And I know that that idea is not necessarily novel. Um, however, bringing that behavioral health element in in a really focused way, I think has been uh, pretty novel. So uh, about 35 to 50 individuals a year that essentially have uh, routine visits to hospitals. Um, they, they often have very poor health status, ha have uh, unstable psychiatric issues, have substance use disorder, active substance use disorder, homelessness, food insecurity, you know, you name it. Um, we decided through really data mining, we identified these patients through um, a whole algorithm of figuring out who are these of the thousands, tens of thousands of people we serve, who are those people that are really in this cohort of, of patients. So we did a lot of work on the front end with the techno technical support of the Camden Coalition, identified these individuals and really went to, um, we began to launch a three-year pilot we also did that through some innovative funding. Uh, Mercy, as, as I've talked about our identity um, many years ago through the wisdom of some of our finance leaders, started what's called a, a 340B committee. So think about that as tithing some of the savings that we get from our 340B program into a special fund that um, a committee, essentially we could take a proposal forward and ask for funding. So that's how we funded this three-year pilot. And our goal was to show that we could do better. We, we knew we were spending a lot of um, 
spending a lot of resources on this 35 uh, group of 35 patients. Um, but we could repurpose, essentially repurpose some of that money that's already being spent, so to speak, and uh, really try to get to better health outcomes. So we did that. Um, the Behavioral Health Network of Greater St. Louis is a wonderful organization that I'm a part of. And they really became the, the um, convener around this pilot program. So that they were an integral par uh, partner in this, along with one of our uh, CCBHOs, an uh, uh, organization called Places for People, located here in St. Louis. If, if you don't know about them, you should, because they are an amazing um, organization that uh, has just incredible uh, programs and uh, high levels of engagement and so on. So we, we came together and said, we're gonna work together toward the good of, of this cohort of patients. Fast forward three years, um, we're, we're at the end of our three-year pilot. And uh, I just presented to some folks here within Mercy yesterday, in fact, um, we've seen a, over an 80% reduction in their hospital utilization. Um, more than 70% of them are housed. Um, they're doing well, they're connected to a medical home. They have a, a specific team that really works with them. Um, so there's a specific Beacon team that's really helping drive some of these outcomes and that those are uh, clinicians through places for people. But it's been really a demonstration project for us to see, you know, could we stand up this model in the greater St. Louis region and really get again to our targeted goals of better outcomes, stable, you know, stable, more stable social, um, status in terms of housing, um, things like that. And then certainly trying to demonstrate that this is a win-win-win in terms of cost, how, how we're managing cost within the healthcare system. So it's it's been wonderful to be a part of. Uh, um, we actually did a national webinar with the Camden Coalition this week as well to kind of shine a light on what we're doing here in the St. Louis region with the Beacon program. So a lot of pride on the part of our team in terms of really bringing this over the finish line and getting to where uh, we hope to be. So it's been wonderful. That is enormous. That's huge. 80% reduction. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know your ratios, but I, you know, sort of think of the Pareto's principle where, you know, it's like 20% of your patients maybe are responsible for 80% of the, the load of care or the, you know, the cost of care, perhaps something of that nature. And then within that 20%, it happens again, you know, so you, you can dial down with some good data analysis, um, finding the rising risk patients with, um, complexities and comorbidities, which in my mind get compounded. Um, you know, it's more, it's more, uh, logarithmic or exponential, uh, potential for costs and care rather than sort of linear or arithmetic. Um, you know, it, it, it goes up and to the right pretty quickly um, for some people who unfortunately, you know, whether it's behavior or nurture or nature, whatever it is, has caused these very complex health issues. So you're out there as a team, not just Mercy, but your 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 partners and co-collaborators and other organizations out there um, doing everything you can to find um, that subset of patients that is ultimately that's a that's a wonderful lesson actually ultimately through um, extreme generosity and extreme commitment to those people 
it probably does also come back to help mercy. Not that that's the reason you're doing it, um, but it certainly also takes burden off the health system and frees you up to do more and better care for other people. Um, but the altruism and the the drive and the mission is clearly um, is clearly centered in a really great place where you're out there looking for these people who have fallen through the cracks. Is there, is there a story that you can tell um, anonymously or perhaps uh, uh, of a patient that brings it kind of home from a, a human perspective now that we've kind of covered the macro? Sure. Yeah. The uh, uh, individual that comes to mind is a gentleman who uh, really had chronic severe depression and alcohol dependence and was uh, in not only our emergency rooms, but a, an emergency room every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And his depression was so severe that he, and ho ho he was homeless. Um, he incurred some severe injuries as a result of freezing weather and uh, actually ended up um, needing a lot of care around that, M might have lost his extremities related to that event. But this program um, brought him back. He he is well. He is uh, in his own home with a lot of support. He is sober. Um, so, you know, without this type of approach, I, I, I'm pretty confident he may not be on this earth anymore. Um, but th just that wraparound approach and everybody feels good about, you know, this outcome. I mean, it, it's, um, it's just where, where we want to be and where we find purpose. So that, that, that is one that sticks out, Steve. Literally saving lives. That's yeah. awesome. And, and just how you described it, it speaks to the biopsychosocial aspects of, you know, it's, it's not just depression. It's a, it's addiction. It's, it's homelessness. It's probably loneliness. It's physical yeah. injury uh, due to cold and, um, you know, other factors. So uh, that gets really complicated really quickly. And so to have a place where this person is, is sober and a roof over their head and alive, uh, very different outcome than what, what's, uh, what's the other potential. So, um, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, with the programs that you're doing, um, a lot of our uh, listeners are either executive directors, you know, at group practices or, or regional offices, or they're marketers. Um, is there anything you want to highlight when it comes to the way you talk about your programs or how you get the word out to either other healthcare providers or consumers, if it's more of a B2C approach, what are you doing to promote your behavioral health services? Or do you even need to? Is it simply you build it and they come? Yeah, for for our, you know, as a provider in a health system, um, there is more need really than we can uh, take care of internally. And I think that's why you know, these relationships with uh, being a part of a spoke in a wheel in a community becomes so important. Um, we are really uh, focusing in a lot more on uh, maternal mental health. Uh, there's some exciting things on our path ahead. Um, and we already have some very specific programs for women with postpartum depression, substance use disorder during pregnancy, um, so those are services that we hope to grow and bring to more people in our 
uh, uh, communities, uh, particularly in you know some of our states that really have poor scorecards around um, morbidity, mortality with women in the, in their mental health conditions. Um, what I what I would also share is that we've spent a lot of time, and really this is sort of our ongoing uh, north star: is how how do we continue to create access wherever wherever that person may need access. A big focus for us in the last two years has been how do we bring robust uh, support to our primary care footprint. We have one of the largest primary care networks uh, within our system. And so we we launched over the last two years with a, with a vendor, Concert Health, who was our collaborator on this, um, we uh, implemented collaborative care in every single primary care clinic. So we're upwards of about 275 clinics, 1,300 primary care providers, pediatricians, OB docs, uh, internal med, um, family med can now push an easy button in uh, our electronic health record and they have a team that comes alongside them almost instantaneously. Um, working with that individuals primarily around depression, anxiety. Um, it's using evidence-based best practice. We're we're seeing re significant reduction in symptoms. Um, they are also helping us with our zero suicide work. We have a number of initiatives where we're a zero suicide organization, but they screen for uh, suicide risk and and they have a, a special registry essentially for people that you know, there may be concern that, um, that there's some risk there. So uh, last year we served over 8,000 people in our collaborative care management program that would have otherwise not gotten the help that they needed or have been on a months long waiting list to see a provider. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really happy about uh, that program and what it's doing in our primary care uh, world, starting to look more also at specific populations, uh, certainly seniors, um, you know, for lots of reasons, uh, looking at what our older adults are struggling with related to depression and anxiety, in particular suicide risk, um, but starting to also kind of target diagnoses, uh, you know, someone who may have a co-occurring depression and CHF diagnosis. We know those are folks that could use more outreach and more help. So just refining that program, um, our collaborative care program, um, it, it, to be its optimal best for our, our clinics uh, is, is work that's ongoing. So that's exciting as well. Maybe yeah. I'll pause there. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And so with the concert collaboration, is that, are you recruiting behavioral health clinicians or providers uh, physically near to where these offices of care are, or is there a telehealth component also? There is a, it's, it really is a telehealth virtual okay. program um, and it's scalable that way. We serve a lot of rural communities and we're able to really knock down barriers related to transportation and so on. Huge. Uh, yeah. But our, one thing that I think is really special about this is that there's, there's a designated team for a clinic. So the primary care team gets to know that particular team, including consultative psychiatrists that are in the model. They're kind of talking back and forth about 
diagnosis and medication management and those things. And then there's a, a, a behavioral care manager or a therapist in the model that's really delivering doses of care. Um, there's a lot of research out there that says, you know, 50 minute therapy sessions aren't necessarily um, the way to go for everyone that, you know, where we can provide 30 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, dosing that to the individual at perhaps several times a week um, becomes more efficacious. So it's a really malleable, flexible model in the way that it's structured and, and CMS has really endorsed this as a way to expand care. So um, we're, we're all in. That makes on, so much sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, just thinking about the clinical distribution in counties or, you know, my, my sister lives in a very rural mountain town in Northern California. It's like this, it's just not spread equally across the country. And so right. when we think about access and we think about rural populations and um, education and uh, clinical access, that's certainly one way we can jump the wall of um, the obstacle of how do we get care to the the right, like you said, to everybody who needs it, wherever they are. And, uh, and, and then in a fractional way where, yeah, maybe it's not the 50 minute, you know, talk therapy, sit down face to face, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not providing uh, a ton of value um, for people who, who need it and may not have it. Um, the circle back to something interesting, you said the, the zero suicide, um, initiative. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. That's, that's unique. We, uh, Mercy, probably six or so, six or seven years ago um, in Missouri is really where we started this. We put a stake in the ground and said, as a health system, we want to look at suicide prevention in the same way or equal to the ways that we look at things like managing hypertension and infections in our hospitals. So we began a journey um, to become a zero suicide uh, organization health system, which is there, there again, um, not common. I, I think some health systems, Henry Ford and some others have really adopted this as well, um, but it's not a common uh, a, approach. So, uh, we uh, sent leaders and a team through uh, Zero Suicide Academy um, in in Missouri. Um, so much our, our community mental health center partners are obviously very engaged in this. But as a health system, it was sort of a unique um, uh, uh, stance that we were taking that this we we care about this too. Um, so from from that point in time, you know, again, our journey has included hiring. We have a specific role within our organization that is a zero suicide coordinator. And the person we have in this role is uh, recognized as a national expert in this space, has, has really received a lot of accolades around her subject matter expertise. So that's been really wonderful to have her as um, an asset in this work. Uh, but we have really focused on culture, at the even at the top of our organization, um, making sure that leaders understand that the importance of our efforts around zero suicide training and education has been huge. Um, you know, really figuring out we have 45,000 coworkers. How do we start to cascade knowledge, competence, uh, comfort, um, with our workforce around screening, 
and how how to ask questions, how you know how to follow evidence based best practice. So there's been a lot of work in that front, Steve. And then um, lastly, I would say we have some really unique programs tied to this. So one is that um, with certain populations within Mercy, you may receive a PHQ-9 uh, depression screening digitally um, as part of an annual wellness visit. The ninth question on that screening is a question about self-harm. And what we didn't want to have happen is someone checks that box and not have an immediate response. So we have a, a population that we're focused on. This has been in pilot phase, but they are doing di digital screenings. And if they trigger that ninth question, we have a virtual team that outreaches them within 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're catching folks off guard. Um, you know, they they may say, well, I, I didn't know someone was going to call me about this um, positive response, but I'm kind of glad you did. And we do we go through a more extensive screening with that person and we're able to, um, you know, really it's, again, a safety net for people that might otherwise be sitting in a lonely state, you know, with contemplation around um, self-harm and we're proactively reaching out to them. Last year, uh, 1,300 people got an outreach call from us simply through that annual wellness visit. So if, you know, if you think about that and it's hard to quantify lives saved, but I can't help but think there's folks in there that we, we have been able to kind of proactively intervene with. Um, and of course, working alongside the 988 system and, you know, uh, integrating this really into our, you know, the way we think about care in our communities, there's a lot of um, ways that we're connecting people then to care. So, so those are, you know, we have, we have really, um, through our zero suicide coordinators expertise and work, and it, it continues to evolve. Um, but we've really looked at this as a way we measure quality. And um, we know that suicide rates are again, increasing, and we want to try to make a difference in that way uh, for the communities where we serve. Excellent work. That's amazing. That's, I just celebrate that the work you're doing. That's so cool. And yeah, it's, it's hard to always quantify it, but uh, you can't help, but you can't help but think and know that um, those conversations and those relationships are net positive in some extreme ways for certain individuals within that 1300 person cohort. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit overwhelming, all the work you all are doing. Um, I'm, I run a, a conference called the mental health marketing conference, and I have this idea to do a conference and it's inspired, uh, called the mental health access conference, which is really a, a conversation we need to be having because I can see you on stage sharing these best practices and these programs and these ideas with other leaders. Um, the, the marketing conference side really started with that talk therapy individual, the provider or the clinician at a solo practice or a group practice. And we've noticed the demographic has shifted dramatically to be uh, whether it's uh, franchise organizations or health systems or universities or private equity or technology companies more than ever this year. Uh, I love to see this groundswell and I continue to believe health systems are, are at the very epicenter of 
the work that we can do to knit the fabric back together and and share progress that we're doing because it takes sometimes two or three years, like you said, to run a pilot program and get the quality outcomes you're looking for to even know if this is if this is outcomes based work. Um, so that's that's an investment that not every organization can do. Um, it's the same way that you know research and development happens a lot of times in universities. Is uh, you know they they have the resources and the time that it takes. So I just applaud you the work you're doing. Um, if, is, is there anything else you want to share before we kind of wrap up? I have one more question for you. That's fun. But um, anything else you want to share that you feel like our audience just really needs to know about the work you're doing? Well, Steve, the only thing I want to offer to you is it, it's been a joy to get to know you and, um, you know, advocates like yourself and, um, you know, raising awareness in the voice and the forums whereby we can share the work that's going on in, in behavioral health arena, which is very broad. Um, but your uh, commitment, I'm looking forward to attending the conference this year. I um, can't wait to see you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, we need, we need as many voices, I think, as we can to, you know, to borrow your words, really put the fabric back together and, you know, coordinate this in a way across our country that no, no life would ever go, um, with, without access to mental health care. And, you know, that should be our standard as a nation in my view. So thanks for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Anything we can do to elevate it even a little bit is, is so positive for the work we're doing. So, um, yeah, uh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, mm -hmm. so one, one last question, um, just to wrap up, tell us something you're either reading or listening to. It could be a book or a podcast or a new, a rock album or um, anything, anything you could think of, but uh, what's, what's something, some kind of content you're listening to or reading? You know, it, that's a great question. Um, from a music perspective, and I appreciating you living in the heartbeat and, uh, or at the epicenter yeah. of, of the totally. music world. Yeah. Um, I have really gotten into Lake Street Dive. I don't know if you know them. Uh, they're a funky little band, so I can't stop listening to them, um, on the radio or on my streaming, whatever you're going to, you're going to guess my age here in a minute, but, um, I would have you check them out. They're very good. Noted. <laughs> I don't know Lake street Dive, but I'm going to check them out after this. Awesome. Okay. I love a good band recommendation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not the first one to share a band. I don't know, but that's because there's so many great, there's so much great stuff out there. Yeah. Well, Patty Morrow, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show and uh, just for everything you do. Um, and with that, we'll wrap up episode 16. But thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.